All right. Hey, we are so glad that each of you are here with us this morning. We love that you guys are connecting and gathering with one another. Hey, if this is your first time here, like Adam and Angie said, this is our officially our second soft launch service and really our last soft launch service because next week we are officially launching to the public and uh, Hill City will officially come alive. Uh, we are so excited about that. We've been praying for this day. Uh, and today is an equally significant day. Today is what uh, we enter into what is known as Holy Week. And if you guys don't know what Holy Week is, this is the week leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. And so for, for us, every year, this is a week that churches celebrate to ultimately celebrate what Jesus came to do. And today is what is known as Palm Sunday. In fact, we read about Palm Sunday beginning in Matthew 21 out of 28 chapters. Uh, in Mark, this triumphal entry starts in chapter 11, and Mark has 16 total chapters. In Luke, this week starts in chapter 19 out of 24 chapters. And in John, the final week begins in John 12 out of 21 chapters. My point in telling you all those numbers is because much of what we read about in the Gospels is actually Jesus' last week of his life. We think that so much of the Gospels is kind of a, a cross-section of the entirety of his life, but actually the mo majority of what we read about in the Gospels is Jesus' last week here on earth. And here's historically how Jesus spent his final week on earth. On Sunday, it's a triumphal entry like, we've, like we just said. Monday was what is known as the clearing of the temple, the cleansing of the temple, which we're actually going to read about today. Tuesday was the controversies with the Jewish leaders. He kind of went head to head with some of the religious leaders of the day. Wednesday was a day of rest. Amen. Thursday was a day of preparation for Passover. Friday was his trial and his crucifixion. Saturday, Jesus was in the tomb, but Sunday was the day of his resurrection, which we will be celebrating next week on Easter together. Again, today is what we traditionally call Palm Sunday. And we, we're going to read about why it's called this together in Matthew 21. So we're going to read Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill... What was spoken through the prophet, say to, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead or went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. 
Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. There is incredible significance to this passage, to this moment where the crowds were not completely aware of. There's significant moment, but the crowds we read about in John, in John 12 were not aware of it until later on. And I, I have empathy for the crowds. I don't know if you have empathy for the crowds. Sometimes big things happen that we are unaware of. I, I would like to assume that I'm a pretty observant person, but there have been times when my wife has come home from a hair appointment and said, do you like it? And I said, of course. What's different? You know, like, I don't know. And this is one of those moments where you wonder how, but uh, I don't, I, you know, the person that I stare at every single day, uh, I don't notice the difference in her hair color. Uh, I remember one time my father-in-law who, you know, th- my wife and I have been together for a long time. We've been together for 20 years this, this summer. Uh, I remember my father-in-law, he had had a mustache for like 30 years, all right? And he shaved it off one time and I was like, I love your new haircut, you know? And I, I could not put on why, I, why he looked different, right? So I say, let's say, I have these moments where I have empathy for the crowd. Something big was happening in front of them, but they did not fully understand the, the weight of what was happening in front of them, right? We're going to talk about why there was so much significance in this, in this week and why what was happening was so important for the life of the church and why we make it a day that we celebrate every year. Ultimately, Palm Sunday brought many things, and that's what makes it so important. The first thing that Palm Sunday brought was a new fulfillment, a new fulfillment. Throughout the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies that point to the Messiah. The Messiah is the person who would come to rescue God's people from their sin. There's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that point to this Messiah. These prophecies include the time of his birth in Daniel 8 and 9, uh, that he would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, that he would be born to a virgin, Isaiah 7, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, that he would be mocked, Psalm 20 that he would be crucified, that he would be pierced, that he would die with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. All of these are prophecies about the coming Messiah. Well, Peter Stoner, who was a mathematician and a professor at Westmont College, he worked with his students to calculate the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies made concerning the Messiah. The professor submitted his figures uh, for review to a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. And upon examination, they verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. And you're asking, who cares? Well, I'm about to tell you why, okay? Here's what they discovered. The odds of someone fulfilling these eight prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. What is that equivalent to? Because if you're anything like me, you know that's a big number, but you don't know what that fully means, right? Here's what this is equivalent to. This is equivalent to someone putting silver dollars face up across the entire state of Texas, two feet deep, marking one of those silver dollars, and then blindfolding a man and telling that person to travel anywhere they want to across the entire state of Texas, and they can choose one silver dollar. And it, the likelihood is that that silver dollar is the one that you marked. I mean, it is next to impossible for that to happen. And here's what he says. He says, 
there are more than eight prophecies in the Old Testament, like we said, hundreds. And if you were to expand the likelihood of one person to fulfill just 48 of those prophecies, the likelihood goes from one in 10 to the 17th power to one in 10 to the 157th power. But Jesus actually fulfilled over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in his lifetime. And they determined that once someone goes past one chance in 10 to the 50th power, it is, the probability is so small that it is likely impossible for it to ever even occur. The professor concluded this fact. He says, any man who rejects Christ, Jesus, as the Son of God is rejecting a fact, proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. And in this passage, we see one of those many prophecies being fulfilled. It's found in Zechariah 9, and here's what it says. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This this prophecy refers to Zion. Now you're asking, wasn't Jesus riding into Jerusalem? Jerusalem was referred to as Zion because Mount Zion was the highest point in the city of Jerusalem. And what was happening is this prophecy was written in the time when Israel was exiled because of Babylonian reign. And a group of Israelites had come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple and ultimately reestablish God's people. And God's people had seen a string of unfaithful kings, but Zechariah was given this prophecy of how Israel's new king, the Messiah, would arrive in the city they were rebuilding. And so ultimately, we see Palm Sunday brings more evidence that Jesus was not just a man riding in on a donkey to the city, but he was the Messiah, the the Son of God. He was righteous. He was victorious. He rode in on a donkey. You see, Palm Sunday shows us that scripturally, Jesus is the Son of God. We see from these professors and mathematicians that that mathematically, Jesus is the Son of God. Something new was coming into Jerusalem for our good and for our greatest need. And this new fulfillment shows us that. The prophecy declares something specific, though. The prophecy declares that Jesus was the king, that he was a king. And this is what Palm Sunday continues to show us. It shows us that Jesus was a new king. The prophecy of the new king of Israel continues with a great crowd welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem. I don't know if you caught that in our initial reading. You might ask, why was there such a great crowd following Jesus? Yes, he was a big deal in in ancient Jerusalem. But here's why there's such a big crowd following Jesus. There's actually two reasons. The first reason is because Jesus had just come from the town of Bethany. And in Bethany was some of Jesus' closest friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. And right before this happened, Jesus went to Lazarus, or Mary and Martha's home, because Lazarus had passed away. He had died. And so Jesus goes to Lazarus. He, He goes, and despite Lazarus being dead, Jesus raised him from the dead. He brought him back to life. And you would imagine that the entire city heard about this. The entire city was part of the mourning and the funeral and the passing of this, this person. We see this person walking around in their presence again later on. 
there was a crowd that was interested and intrigued in what Jesus was doing. And so there's a crowd following Jesus in that regards. The second reason there's a crowd following him was because this was the Passover week. This was a season where people would come to Jerusalem, come to the temple, and ultimately make a sacrifice for their sins. This was an annual tradition for the Jewish people. And it's estimated that there were upwards to 2 million additional Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem for the Passover festival. So you can imagine, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and there are crowds praising him, that this would have caused quite a commotion around it. And so what is happening here is significant, though. They're not just welcoming an average person into the city. No, no, no. This is not a normal processional. This is the processional of a king. We can read about how these kings came about in, in the Old Testament because much of what they're, they're showing us and how they're welcoming Jesus is actually reminiscent of how ancient Israel would welcome new kings back in the day. This, was, this picture cele- or conveys celebration and honor. This is how people would welcome and affirm a newly anointed king. And again, we see this in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 9, we see how the Israelites welcomed the new king, King Jehu, into their presence. See if this sounds familiar to you in 2 Kings 9.13. It says, they, the Israelite people, quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. They blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. Does it sound familiar to how they're welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem? Sure, they were excited about this guy who could bring people back to life. They were excited about this guy who could bring sight back to the blind. They were excited about this guy who could, who could help the lame people walk again. But there was something significant that, they, that was happening here. They were welcoming Jesus into the city as king. This was not a normal entry that Jesus was receiving. This was the entry of a king. The people were honoring Jesus as the coming king of Israel. Now, I've never experienced a processional like this, but every day, I'm in the sweet spot. We have four kids. We have a third grader, a second grader, a first grader, and we have a a, a three-year-old who's about to be four. Now, again, I've never experienced this kind of welcome, but every day when I come home, I'm in the sweet spot where my three-year-old, she runs and does the same thing every single day. Daddy's home! And then she turns the corner. We kind of have this like little hallway that enters where our garage comes in the house, and she yells the same thing every morning huggy or every evening huggy and she runs up and gives me a hug right now again not the same kind of processional but I would choose that processional I think every other time right it's it's not the king of kings and the lord of lords but it is definitely a welcome for the king of the castle if you will right and so here's the thing this is a unique entry point for the life of Jesus this, is, this might sound like a normal entry to the city, but it was not. It was an entry for a king. But it was, again, the uniqueness of the situation. It was not happening the way that they expected it to happen. See, Jesus did not ride in on a horse. That would have been the kind of the proper symbol that you would expect for someone who is riding in to ultimately declare war on the Roman or the Roman power, the Roman rulers of that day. Because the Israelite people, they felt oppressed by the Roman rulers. And so they thought the Messiah would ultimately come and, and, and free them from the Romans. So the fact that Jesus is riding in on a donkey is a little unique. Because what would have happened, they would have expected Jesus to ride in on a horse to declare war. But Jesus rides in on a donkey. Donkeys were symbolic of peace. 
Horses were symbolic of war. So Jesus is not coming to declare war, but he's coming to bring peace. He's coming to make peace between God and man. He's coming to make peace for the penalty of sin in our lives. The donkey shows that God's plan was different than what the people expected. But then you see a second symbol here. He, he not only rides in on the donkeys, but they begin to cut palm branches off and lay them before Jesus. That's the words for or the way that we get it, Palm Sunday. They lay these palm branches before Jesus. And palm branches were symbolic for victory. They were used to symbolize the victory of a king over their enemy. And so what they're doing is they're laying these palm branches saying, Jesus, you will be victorious over the Romans. You will be victorious over our oppressors. But Jesus ultimately is not coming to wage war with Rome. He, he has a different plan altogether. These branches of victory were not for Rome. They were to be victorious over sin and death. And so Jesus, he's riding in to make peace between God and man. And the way that he does that is to have victory over sin and death. So you begin to see these, these people, these crowds, they had a picture of what they expected to happen. But Jesus had a different plan. The Messiah had a different plan. These two symbols work together to show us that God's plan instead of the people's plan. The people planned that the Messiah, the King of Israel, would come and overthrow the oppressive Roman government and give the Jewish people freedom. God desired that the Messiah would come and restore our relationship with him. Jesus came riding on a donkey to bring peace between God and man, and the palm branches were declarations of victory, not over Rome, but over sin and death. Friends, Palm Sunday brings us a new king, and it's not the king that we may expect, but it's the king that we all need. One who comes in peace and will be victorious. And with this, declara- or with this entry into Jerusalem brings a new declaration as well. The people begin to shout and praise God. They begin to do ex- these extraordinary things. And you may think that this was just a normal part of Jesus' life. But something for the first time happens in this scene. Something for the first time happens. This is the first public declaration of Jesus as the Messiah. Before then, anytime people had acknowledged Jesus as Messiah, he would often tell them to be quiet, to be still. But this was the first time that Jesus was allowing it, that he was saying, welcoming this public declaration before the people. Right? This was a significant announcement. And I don't, again, I don't know about you, but we've all had these moments in our lives where announcements are big, right? Maybe you're having a baby and you've made that announcement. Uh, baby announcements are a big thing now. I just saw one of the U.S. men's national soccer team, like he, he was doing a gender reveal and he had a glass ball that he punted and pink powder flew all over the field. Like, I don't know what kind of announcements you've made, right? I know for me, there are times when announcements carry weight and there's times when announcements don't carry as much weight. Like, Gender reveals, big time, important, exciting. Uh, Maybe you're getting married, those are big. Maybe you're making a move or a job change, those are big announcements. Uh, Oftentimes when I'm driving with my wife, my wife will be riding in our passenger seat and she'll yell, watch out! And I'll tense up and I'll hit the brakes and I'll look and she's like, there's a car passing over there. You know, or like, you know, like, oh look it, there's a bird right there. You know, maybe, I don't know if anyone else has experienced those kind of things, right? But there are times when announcements carry things and there's other times when announcements don't carry as much weight, right? Here's the thing, this announcement carried weight. This announcement made the people turn and look and look for understanding what was happening here. What were the people declaring? 
The first declaration was Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna was a phrase that meant God save us. These people were were asking for the Lord to come and rescue them. Son of David was a title that was used for the Messiah. And you put these two phrases together, it becomes reminiscent of Psalm 118, where the people are declaring that Jesus was the son of, or was the Messiah who had come to save them. The next declaration was, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To come in the name of anyone was to come in some sense representing that person and to come in order to set forward their purposes. So ultimately what the crowds were proclaiming was that Jesus was God's representative, one who would come to set forward the divine purposes of God. And then they cried Hosanna once again, and this time they added the phrase, in the highest. And it's an enthusiastic cry, right? They, they were probably, likely saying that Jesus was to be praised everywhere, even to the heavens itself. The crowds had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and they were, were now welcoming him into the city. But again, it wasn't just a normal welcome. This was a welcome of a king, of not just a king, but the Messiah, the Son of God as well. Only the Messiah could do the things that they had seen and experienced. Only the Messiah could be brought into the city this way. And when others asked about who this was, was receiving this kind of welcome, the people emphatically declared, this is Jesus. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is a declaration that we should all take on each and every day. This is a declaration that we should all come together with and we should declare that Jesus is Lord of our lives every morning when we wake up. At every turn, we have this posture of surrender where we come and we make the same declarations that the crowds are making, that Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are Lord over my life. This triumphal entry continues the next day. We see how it continues the next day in Mark and Luke. Uh, But Matthew, he kind of just brings it all right into one another. And Jesus enters the temple the following morning, and he brings with with him a new presence. A new presence. It's a significant continuation. Again, in this moment when Jesus enters into the temple, he actually fulfills another prophecy about the Messiah. In Malachi 3, it says this, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire. He will come. Here we see that the Messiah will suddenly come into the temple, and that's exactly what Jesus does. And he enters and he begins to bring the temple back to the heart of worship. You see, again, you have to remember that what is happening is that in this time, the Passover is happening. So what people would do is they would bring their animals to be sacrificed in the temple. And so Jesus, he enters the temple and he begins to actually fulfill another prophecy that we see in John 2, that zeal for, our house, for your house will, uh, will consume me. We see that in Psalm 69. But he begins to overturn the tables and the money changers and the lenders. Because what was happening was they were taking advantage of the poor people in this whole sacrificial system. What was happening is they were ultimately taking the sacrifice out of the sacrifice. What they were doing is people were not having to bring their own animals for their sacrifice. They could just buy them 
from these money lenders. And what they were doing is they were charging higher rates for these animals. And oftentimes what they were doing is they were putting a barrier in front of people actually being able to come and experience the presence of God, the forgiveness of God. And so what he does is he begins to turn over these tables and he drives them out. And it's what happens next that stands out so significantly to me. What happens next is that Jesus comes and he sits in the center of the temple. And the people begin to come to him and it changes everything. Because what Jesus did when he overturned these money lenders, these 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 uh, money changers, he was threatening the whole sacrificial system. And that was something that the cross would do again in a week. He was, he was, his presence was, was, was threatening the whole system that the people had known and how people were to relate with God. I remember when my brother was younger, he played hockey. And uh, when he was young, one of the kids on his team had the last name Lidstrom. And if you grew up in Detroit, you guys know that the last name Lidstrom is kind of a big deal when it comes to hockey. His dad was Nicholas Lidstrom, uh, like the Hall of Fame hockey defender. And Nicholas Lidstrom, when these kids were, I don't know, eight or nine years old, would skate onto the ice. And my brother was a defenseman. And my brother would be taught how to play hockey by one of the greatest hockey players to ever live. And guess what? The moment Nick Lidstrom walked into that hockey arena up off of Novi Road, Everyone knew about it. The, word, the, the muttering of that, especially from the hockey moms, okay, uh, was like he had come to the building, right? And so like everyone was there. He would be on the ice. He'd come off the ice. There'd be a line of people trying to get autographs from him. Everyone knew the moment he entered the building. The moment Jesus entered the temple, everyone knew, and he brought it back to its rightful purpose for people to come to experience God. And he begins to heal them, and he begins to send them out. And what's significant is that healing was often symbolic of forgiveness of sins as well. Earlier in, the, in Matthew, in Matthew 9, Jesus heals a paralyzed man who is lowered through the floor. It was set right before his feet, and he says, your sins have been forgiven. The people start going like, how can this guy forgive people of their sins? And here's what he says. He says, what is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man does that. So Jesus begins healing these people to show everyone that he has the power to forgive us our, our sins. And so when people come into the temple, this, this, this space that was set up to experience the presence of God, they come and they're experiencing healing and ultimately their forgiveness of sins. The exact way that God desires for us to be able to experience him. This is what Palm Sunday does. It foreshadows this new way of coming and experiencing God's presence that the cross would ultimately usher in. We can freely come to him in faith. There won't be any barriers because Jesus will pay for them with his life. This is what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday, or I guess uh, Palm Monday, if you will, uh, when he comes and enters, Eric cleans, cleanses the temple. This is what is happening. This is what Palm Sunday brought us. It brought us another confirmation that Jesus was the Messiah and the King with a declaration and presence that can't be taken away. Palm Sunday ushers in the most important week in the history of the world. 
And Palm Sunday should also be a faithful reminder to each of us every single year. But what should Palm Sunday remind us specifically of? I think one of the things when I read through this, this passage each and, every week, each and every year when it comes to this time, I'm reminded of our ability to sin. Sin has, is a problem that has plagued humanity since our creation. We're so prone to sin. We are so prone to wander. We're prone to declare ourselves as a king over our lives, to choose for ourselves, to follow our own hearts, to walk away from God. We cannot experience God's love the way he created us to experience it because we ignore him in so many areas of our lives. We seek our own purposes, our own fulfillment, but we seek all those things apart from God. We've not trusted him. We've ignored his rules. And what stands out to me and reminds me of this is that the same crowd that was shouting and declaring him as the Messiah on Sunday was the same crowd that was yelling crucify him on Friday. Look at, look at what happens. Look at what happens in Matthew 27. We're going to read this on Good Friday, but give you a little foreshadow taste of it. Matthew 27, 22, it says, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. And they, the crowds, shouted all the louder, Crucify him. The people who laid branches before Jesus and declared him as Messiah were also the same people who pushed for his death. They praised him with branches, but they condemned him to a cross. Friends, our hearts are so prone to sin. This is why Palm Sunday is such a significant day. This is why Holy Week is such a significant time period. This is why Good Friday and Easter are the most important days in all of human history, for those of us who follow Jesus. Because the empty tomb, the cross, is the payment for our sins. And so Palm Sunday should be a stark reminder that we are the people in the crowd. That if we were standing there praising Jesus on Sunday, that we would likely be in that crowd shouting for his death because he did not do the very things we thought he would do. We thought that he would come and he would rescue us from the Roman oppression. We thought that he would come and do the things that we wanted him to do. And then when he didn't begin to do those things, we wonder that this must not be that man. We must have been wrong. Our hearts are so prone to wander. Our hearts are so prone to sin. We have this same ability to sin in our own hearts today. I wonder how many times we've sought the things that Jesus can give to us rather than Jesus himself. I wonder how many times we've looked for what we can get out of Jesus rather than how we can enjoy just sitting at his feet like Martha did uh, all those years ago. If we're able to sin like the crowds, then a stark reminder should also be that we are in need of a Savior. We are in need of a Savior, and this is why Jesus came. Just, he came to bring salvation for our sins. This salvation brings peace between us and God, but it also brings peace between one another as well. The reason that we are able to experience this kind of relationship with one another is because of what Jesus has done for us. He did not come wielding this kind of political power to rule over us. Instead, he came bringing spiritual salvation, spiritual peace. 
And this peace was not just for Israel. It was for anyone who was willing to put their faith in him and submit their lives to him and ultimately respond yes to the simple question, will you follow me? The simple invitation that Jesus gives throughout the Gospels. In fact, in Revelation 7, we see a picture of those who have experienced the salvation that Jesus is offering to all of us. In Revelation 7, 9, it says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, nation, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, this salvation, this need for a Savior is for people from every tribe, every people, every nation, every language. Every single one of us, we are in need of a Savior. And we have the ability to respond to that need in faith, Scripture says. But faith is so much more than belief. I think oftentimes we just assume faith is, if I can just believe it in my head and my heart, then that's enough. But what we see throughout Scripture is that faith is often belief and action paired together. It's this belief in Jesus as the crucified Messiah and King. It's belief through a declaration of your life each and every day. It's belief that his presence will fill you and give you what you need to follow him. But it's also action. It's an act of surrendering to him. Jesus, every one of us, every one of us to follow him. In the and he's inviting you to follow him, not simply with your heart, but with your life as well. Now, this is what Palm Sunday does for us. Palm Sunday reminds us of our sin and our need for a savior. But with Palm Sunday brought a new fulfillment as Jesus is Messiah a new king who would reign over his people, a new declaration that he was the Messiah, and a new presence that he would go forth with us. So as we close our time here together today, we want to just simply invite you to respond how you feel led to respond. If that is simply to come and sing the song with us, we want you to come and sing the song with us. If it's to come and pray and ask God to forgive you of sins that you might have, that you find yourself kind of committing regularly like the crowds did, then you can sit where you are and have just space to do business with God. Some of you, you have never actually followed Jesus. Put your belief and action together in faith, and you are called just to simply respond by saying, yes, Jesus, I will follow you as the crucified King and Messiah who came to pay for my sins. However you are called to respond, we want to create space to do that. Palm Sunday ushers in one of the greatest and most important days and weeks in the history of the world. It's why we are gathering here today, because a man rode in on a donkey, received the praises of the people, fulfilled the prophecies made about him, And he entered into a city to ultimately be led to a cross. But I'm so grateful that as we gather on Friday to mourn his death, that we'll also gather next Sunday to celebrate his resurrection. So however you feel led to respond in these next few moments, we want to give you that space. If you want to sing in praise, sing in praise. If you need to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. If you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, we would love to invite you to do that. It's just a simple prayer of your heart. There's nothing special about the words. 
special about the posture of your heart to him. So however you feel led, we want to give you that space. Father, we come and we are grateful for the time that you entered into Jerusalem, the ways that you came and moved and worked, the way that we can know for a fact that Jesus, you are the Messiah who came to take away our sins. Lord, we are not putting our faith in a system. Lord, we're not even putting our faith in a church. We're putting our faith in a person whose sole purpose, whose sole purpose was to bring us back into a right relationship with God, whose sole purpose was to bring us peace, to pay the penalty for our sins, to come and make a way for us. And so, Jesus, we respond by saying, we want what you want. We are here for you. Lord, forgive us of the ways that we've fallen short. Forgive us of the ways that we've been people in the crowd who one day have praised you and the next day shouted, wondering where you are, doubting your existence, doubting your presence in our lives. Forgive us of those times. Lord, forgive us of the times that we've sought what you give us rather than who you are. Forgive us of the times where we've cared more about what you do. Father, forgive us of the times that we've just fallen short. We've sought life on our own. Lord, today we come to you eager, eager to experience your presence. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall heavy upon this place and lead us in the ways that we need to be led to ultimately bring your name great honor and great glory. Jesus, it's all about you. Palm Sunday reminds us of that. We make these next few moments, the remainder of our time, together all about you. We pray this.